The scripture for today's sermon comes from Psalm 46. The word of God speaks to us. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's word to us. All right, good morning. How are we doing? It's good to be with you guys today. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Chad Kinser. I serve as one of our pastors, particularly in our downtown congregation. Um, but also, uh, as David has been out on sabbatical, I've had a chance to come up here a few times and, and be with you guys. And so it's a pleasure to get to open God's word with you. If you've got a Bible open to the passage that was just read, Psalm 46 is where we're going to be today. Uh, I think last week, Pastor Josh Curry is with you, finishing up the book of 1 Corinthians. You know we've been there uh, for the better part of, I think, 14 months, and we finished up that long study, and so uh, he may have mentioned also where our next study is going to be the book of Genesis. We're starting that just after Labor Day, uh, and so you can be looking forward to that if you're looking for places to read in Scripture on your own time, your personal readings, uh, your family readings, devotional time, things like that. Pick up the book of Genesis, start to mark it up, uh, start to write your questions, start to uh, engage with that in community groups and so on. We'll start that just after Labor Day. But between now and then, we've got a few different Sundays where we're going to have uh, some sermons from different parts of Scripture that we wouldn't otherwise be in in our longer studies. And so today is one of those uh, from Psalm 46, a passage of Scripture that's meant a lot to me over my life uh, as a Christian. Uh, and a passage that as I started to study it for our sermon today, I realized I didn't know it as well as I thought I knew it. There's so much more here that I uh, I've learned. So I'm excited to preach today. And I also want to pray as we start our time together and, and not just pray for our time in here, but I want to pray for, our, for the city of Edmond. And I just want to pray for God's renewing purposes and just remind us that as we open God's word, as we like sing songs together, as we open God's word together, as we come to the Lord's table together at the end of our time, this isn't just about you and me in here being encouraged. This is about you and me in here being encouraged and then what happens in here spilling out into the seats and, uh, streets and neighborhoods uh, of our city. We, we want God's presence to fill up this whole, this whole city. Amen? Yeah. And so let's, uh, let's pray for God's renewing purposes. Let's pray for our time, and let's get to work today. Our Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we know that when we say Jesus' name, it's not so much that we're bringing before you some magical name. We're bringing before you the name of your only son, our Lord, in whose name and in whose merits, in whose work we come in behind and our prayer is heard. So God, thank you. Thank you that you hear our prayer today. 
And we just want to say before we open your scriptures that what we do here in this moment, would it be also about your renewing purposes all across this community, all across this city? God, I pray for people who aren't in churches today, God, that somehow your Holy Spirit would meet them, intersect them, intervene on them today. Jesus, I pray that for every person whom you bled for, you didn't waste a single ounce of, of, of suffering, but every person that you suffered for, that, you would, that they would be one to you, that they would turn to you, that there'd be renewal and revival and conversion spring up across the city, and that you would receive all the glory due your name across the city. God, I pray that you would open our mouths. I pray that you would cause us to live lives that have the texture of grace and not hypocrisy. Would there be a witness of Jesus going forth from this congregation and from every congregation that loves your son in this city? Would your kingdom come and your will be done in Edmond just like it's happening in heaven? And so now, God, as we open this passage of scripture that's for the history of your people has always served to be an encouragement and edifying, I pray it would be just that for us today. And so give us ears to hear. Raise the expectation in our own life of who you are for us. We would see you more clearly today. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. amen. Well, growing up, I was an only child. I was an only child. So now it's funny as a father of four that I get to see all these sibling dynamics that I missed out on, these normal sibling dynamics that maybe if you were growing up with a brother or sister or plenty of those, um, or now you have kids yourself, that are just normal to you. I, I'm, I'm experiencing them all for the first time. The, the pestering with one another, the stealing from one another, the, the just like the petty ways that my kids will push one another's buttons just because they can, you know? I'm bored, so I'll probably bother you, you know? Like it's just sort of a way to pass time. Growing up for me, the closest I got to experience any of those sibling dynamics was when I went to a friend's house, you know, who had little brothers or sisters. And my best friend's house growing up is where I spent probably more time than his parents wanted me to spend there. Um, but I spent a lot of time there. And he had a younger brother. And it was just sort of this like unwritten, unspoken sort of understanding that at some point being there, we were going to pick a fight with his little brother. We were going to pick a fight and we were going to wrestle around. This is how we were going to do it. You know, we were going to play video games for a while. Then it's like, I'm kind of done with this. Let's go fight, you know. Um, and uh, I'll never forget one particular time where this had gone down, my, my friend, the older brother, wasn't really involved, it was just me and the younger brother, and the wrestling had gone on too long, the fighting had gone on too long, tempers were getting hot, and it was kind of like, I'm not sure this is fun anymore, or for fun, I think we're actually kind of doing this. And I'll never forget the moment when Mr. Miles peeked his head out of the other room that he was in. He made a quick assessment of the situation and he had one of those sort of legendary dad moments where with one word, drop tone, he can sort of settle the whole thing. He peeks his head out, assesses the situation and he says the famous word that you've probably said if you're a parent, enough, enough. And when he says that, it was just one word, but it was a world of meaning in that one word, you know. I stood to attention, little brother stands to attention, big brother who was just watching it all stands to attention. He didn't say anything else. He gave us a look, he gave us a word, and that's all he needed to do. And it was just one, again, one of those legendary dad moments where somehow he was able to like look all three of us in the eye at the same exact time. 
you know? And the look said something with it. The, the look to the older brother was, are you just gonna let this happen to your younger brother? You're not gonna defend him at all? You're just gonna watch this happen? The look to me was as if to say, this is my house, that's my son, and you've gone too far, enough. And the look to the younger brother was as if to say, I need you to know that I've got your back. Even if no one else does, I need them to know that I've got your back. But I need you to know in their hearing that I've got your back. Now, I open with that story this morning because what I want you to do is sort of picture that moment that in some categories of your life, you're probably familiar with a moment just like that. But if you can with me, take sort of a redeemed imagination, go with me here and magnify that experience. Magnify that exponentially. And you start to get a sense of the heart, you start to get a sense of the burden of the passage of scripture laid before us this morning. Who is God for his people? Who is he for his people? And how does he act on their behalf? You see, Psalm 46 was originally an Israelite song a song of the Hebrew people, but now it's a song for the followers of Jesus. We're told in the superscript, the words that we typically bypass, but that are just above verse one, if you have a Bible, we're told there that we have some instructions to a choir master. Meaning this is a song that was meant to be sung and rehearsed over and over again. Psalm 46 is this song of consolation. It's a song of comfort and of courage. And the driving burden of these lyrics is is this. The confidence and the courage for the people of God is God himself. The confidence and the courage for the people of God is God himself. Listen, he will fight for you. You can drop your shoulders. You can take a deep breath. You can cast your fears on him. Why? Because your father's shadow is a really safe place to stand. Your father's shadow is a really safe place to stand, as it was for a younger brother on that day when Mr. Miles peeked out his head, all the more so for the living God who takes up his people's cause. And so if you're new to the Bible, the book of Psalms is this prayer book. The book of Psalms is a song book for the people of God across all time. The Psalms are given to us. The whole reason we have this longest book in Scripture, right in the middle of Scripture, the whole reason we have it is to let us know that God actually understands your emotional life. All your internal conflict, all the raging inside of you, all the doubts, all the temptations, all the ugly, all the good, all, up and down, God, God understands all of it. And listen, the book of Psalms lets us know that God's not opposed to you. He's not opposed of your emotional life. He's not opposed to those ugly emotions where you wonder if he's even real or there. He's not opposed to it. But also the reason we have the book of Psalms is to help us have our emotional life reshaped. It's not just so that God understands all the things you feel. It's that the things that you feel actually need to be reshaped because isn't it true oftentimes your feelings tell you things about God that aren't true. And so the book of Psalms is there to let us know God understands your emotional chaos, but also he intends to reshape your chaos and bring it back to order around what's true in him. And that's certainly true of Psalm 46. And so these 11 verses are composed in three small sections, and each one of them sort of mounts into and leads into the next, and we'll take them in turn. And this song opens with verses one to three to give us this high view of God 
our protector. And so listen to the opening lyric of this song, verse one. God is our refuge and our strength. God is our refuge and strength. This song starts with this really big declaration. This opening lyric is intended to grab your attention. It's intended to draw the listener in. It's intended to draw the singer in to say, what am I singing? How am I singing? And where is it going? God is your refuge and your strength. God and God alone. The writer is intentional with this opening line. It's not God plus, notice. It's God and God alone. So to put this square with you, your money is not your refuge and your strength, although sometimes you think it is. The good opinions of other people is not your refuge and your strength. The victory or success of your preferred political brand is not your refuge and your strength. Just because your candidate wins doesn't mean you're safe. You know this. Your achievements aren't your refuge and your strength. Your ability to control situations or to control other people or to control how other people interact with you, that's not your refuge, it's not your strength. Listen, by definition, if your place of refuge or strength is connected to anything that can be taken away from you or betray you or collapse, then it's not a refuge or a strength, it's a mirage. It's a figment of your imagination, something you're trying to patch together to make yourself feel better, but you know, as well as anyone, it can collapse in a moment if things go the wrong way. God is the only one who can provide true refuge and true strength, and here's the reason, because he's the only one who can never be shaken. There's never been a moment when God has been made to flinch. Think about that. There's never been a moment where God has been made to second guess. He's never been rivaled. He never will be rivaled. God's never been threatened. He's never been anxious. He's never been unsure. He's never woke up on the wrong side of the bed and had a different attitude than the day before. This is why he's the only real place of assurance and refuge and strength. And so the songwriter intends to grab your attention and fortify you in this song from the opening lyric. And notice the good news of the next line where he goes. He's a very present help in trouble. So God isn't simply an observer in the troubles of his people. Think about that for a second. God isn't this detached watcher. We don't have a press box God. A detached watcher who's sort of across the street or elevated somewhere else looking down on you from another room with his arms folded to see how you're going to handle your troubles. The pastor says that he's a very present help. Translation, he's an eagerly present help. He's a totally competent helper. There's not a trouble that's too hard for him. There's not a trouble that could swirl up in your life that will cause him one bead of, of sweat in stress. There's not a sorrow too great for him to console. There's not a wound too deep for him to heal. And so I know that these opening lyrics, they're they're probably rolling around in your mind and maybe there's some of you who say, yeah, but how do I know? (laughs) Like, how do I know that's really true? How do I know this isn't just sort of hopeful religious speech or warm religious ramblings about things we hope to be true about God that we often say because we're weak people who need a crutch and this just makes us feel better? How can I really know? 
Maybe you say that because you have doubts about whether or not God actually is there at all. Is any of this even real? Maybe you would say, hey, you you say God's a very present help in trouble, but you don't know my trouble. You don't... Maybe that's true for everyone else's situation, but you don't know my situation. You say he's a place of comfort and courage and ready to help, but my life and my soul feels like chaos, and I can't seem to find God anywhere. How can I know if this is true? And here's what I'd want you to hear today, if that's you. Like, number one, those are very normal thoughts and emotions to swirl through. Me too. But my courage, I I take courage oftentimes to recognize that the message of this song, the writers of this song weren't blind to the real stuff of life. They, they, They weren't blind to the real stuff of the world. They were writing these lyrics, eyes wide open and with wind in the face. So I have these four kids I've told you about and um, I've successfully now got them all off riding a bike. No training wheels in the Kinser house anymore, you know. And if you're a parent, you know what it's like to like the first time you set the bike out on the street and there's no training wheels. And there's excitement, but there's also all of these fears and emotions that start firing off, especially with the first wobble, you know, of the tire. And all of a sudden, in that moment, all of the thoughts about mommy or daddy is my protector, all that goes out the window and the thoughts in their mind are, you, you're, you've come out here to abandon me, you don't love me, uh, you, you've brought me in the middle of the street to kill me, you could have stopped all of this and you didn't. They look back at you like, who, who are, do I even know you anymore? Can I trust you? And in that moment, in that moment, the thing that you shouldn't do is just go, you know what, This is too hard. You you shouldn't have to face any of this. No, in the midst of that trouble, what I need to do, because there's all sorts of emotions that are firing off about who I am as their father that aren't true, what I need to do is keep them on the bike and reframe their emotional life about who I am as a very present help in times of trouble as their dad, that it's especially true at that first wobble, at that first moment of risk, they think I'm not there, but I'm a very present help and I've got the back of their seat the whole time. What they feel as a moment of chaos is actually in my moment, a moment of order, where they're learning to walk in my presence. And this is what the writer of this song is wanting us to see in God. There is no refuge like him. There's no strength like him. Even when you can't feel it, even when you can't see it, there's no one more eager than him, more able than him, more present to help like him. In fact, this is what the writer goes on to say in verse two. Therefore, we're not gonna fear, even if the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And the writer says, Selah, which is a Hebrew way of saying, slow down and think about what I've just said. Even when life gives you its worst, God will not stop at anything to keep his people. It's not so much that he'll keep you from trouble. The song is actually assuming trouble is coming for you. It's assuming trouble, but it's also assuming trouble is coming, but God is there. It's assuming God. And there's no one better to give us these lyrics than the writer of this song. If you've got a Bible, you'll notice again up above verse one, the superscript. This song was written by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah. Now you may not have Korah as a name on ready recall in your Bible knowledge. 
We only get one chapter on Korah. It comes from your favorite book in the Bible, the book of Numbers. And it comes from your favorite chapter in your favorite book, chapter 16. The people of Israel are wandering around in the wilderness after being set free from Egypt. They're wandering there in the wilderness and Korah is fed up with it. He's like, Why, what are we doing? I thought this was about a promised land, some milk and honey. There's, there's no milk, there's no honey. We're just wilderness, it's desert. He's fed up with where they are. He's fed up with the leader Moses and he thinks he's got better plans for Israel than God does. And so Korah takes on his own initiative to swirl up a little rebellion with he and a few of his friends. He confronts Moses about it. Moses confronts him about it. And he says, come back tomorrow morning and God will settle the score. He shows up the next day and as the story goes, Numbers 16, God shows up the next morning and he brings a judgment on Korah. He brings a judgment on his friends, the ringleaders, and the ground beneath them, as they stood confronting Moses, the ground beneath Korah and his friends opened up and they were swallowed by the earth to be seen never again. And this was a moment, a wild moment. I can't imagine what it must have been like to stand there that day and to watch this judgment happen. But it was a sign to the people of God that his purposes for his people will not fail even in the midst of trouble. He will not be opposed. He will have his people. He will have his way with his people and his people will flourish in his presence. And so now what's interesting is the sons of Korah, the sons of the guy that was swallowed by the earth, the sons of that guy who was judged by God are now writing a song to say, even if the earth gives way, believe us, we've seen it. God is strong for his people. He will fight for his people and his purposes for his people will not be opposed. So now notice also in those instructions above verse one, we're also told that this was a song to be sung by Alamoth. According to Alamoth, that's a Hebrew musical term referring to the voices of the young or the youth. And so the design of this song was it was to be sung by the Hebrew youth of the congregation as a way of saying, God does not leverage his strength for the strong. He leverages his strength for the weak, and I want you to hear the proof of it from the voices of the most vulnerable in the congregation. Even the smallest and the weakest among you have no need to fear. God is strong, and he will have the back of all who look to him. That's what's happening in Psalm 46. So if you're here today, and you find yourself sort of in life in any of these categories, weak, afraid, not sure about God or if he's even there at all, chaos and sorrow and trouble, if you find yourself in these categories, I just want you to hear me before we move to the second piece of this song. Look to God today. And I don't say that in a cliche way. Look to God today. Listen, this song was written for you. This is a song. There are lyrics being put in your mouth about who God is for you. The second section of this song moves from God as protector to God as our comfort. Pick up in verse four. He says, there's a stream or there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. And so Korah's sons are telling us that for the people of God, even when life is raging against you, when life is giving you its worst, there is a stream, isn't there, God's people? There is a stream of refreshment that shows up in the midst of the chaos. 
God never leaves his people holding the bag. The river of gladness is a reference to the very presence of God himself, which verse five says is in the midst of his people. And so the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High, these are references in the Old Testament for Israel about Jerusalem. This is a reference to the temple. In the Old Testament, you may know that the presence of God for the people of God was isolated to the temple, but we now read this as New Testament people. And so where the presence of God has moved from a place like the temple to now a person that has come to us in God's own son, what's happening is that Jesus, for all who look to Jesus, he pours out the Holy Spirit of God, the very presence of the living God, not to just be with you, but to indwell you, to be inside of you. And so all the more for the New Testament Christians, the writer wants us to know the God who protects you is also in your midst. Even more, he's in you. He's holding you. In the midst of trouble, you will not be moved. He goes on in verse six to say, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. The world around you may just well lose its collective mind. Anyone wanna say amen to that? The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. But notice, but God speaks. He utters his voice and the earth melts. Hey, you remember that moment in the life of Jesus? when he's out on the boat with his disciples and the sea is raging all around them, these trained sailors, these trained fishermen are like freaking out, they're gonna die. And all the while, Jesus is taking a nap in the stern of the boat, this moment. It sounds a lot like this psalm because they thought God was sleeping on them in the midst of trouble. And so what happens in that story? They, they shake Jesus awake, we're gonna die. Have you brought us out here to die? He stands up, groggy from his nap. He looks at the wind and the waves. He gives two words, be still. And it was. And it was. And it says that the disciples were actually more terrified after he calmed the storm than they were in the midst of the storm when they thought they were gonna die. And why? Because now they recognize who's in their midst. Even the wind and the waves obey you. He utters his voice and the earth melts. Listen, church, the same God, the same God whose voice melts the earth is the same God whose word has the power to melt your anxieties. He has the power to melt your anxieties. Psalm 94, verse 19, when the cares of my heart are many, not if the cares of my heart are many. When the cares of my heart are many, he says, your consolations, your comforts, cheer my soul. Listen, church, give yourself to the book. Give yourself to the book. There is power in this word to speak to places inside of you, to melt fears inside of you that no other word can go, no other relationship can go, and no other, no other presence can go. For all who look to him, he leverages his voice for you and not against you. The voice of God has come forward for you and not against you. The, the writer of this song ends the second section with a bang in verse seven. He says, the Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. And again, he says, Selah. I want you to think about this. And so what he does here is he reiterates for a third time in seven verses the thing that you're prone to forget. The thing that I'm prone to trivialize. He reiterates for a third time in seven verses, God is with you. 
Like he's really with you. Don't sleep on the repetition here. A very present help in time of trouble, verse one. He's in your midst to hold you so that you're not moved, verse five. And now here, verse seven, the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies is with you. He's with you. And he says the God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob, a a safe place, fortress. But the God of Jacob isn't just a throwaway title. You remember who Jacob is in the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, Jacob is a thief, he's a liar, he's a trickster, he's a wanderer, he's one who wrestles with God. Jacob is one who has no business in the presence of God, and yet God makes a covenant with Jacob and keeps it. And so by the title God of Jacob, the writer of the song wants us to know that just like God is with Jacob, he is with you, wanderer. He is with you, liar, trickster, one who wrestles with him. If he was a God for Jacob, he's a God for you. That's why he's the God of Jacob and now over his people. Which means he has a stronger grip on you than you have on him. He's with you. He's keeping you. He's a pursuer of those who wander. Turn back. He's with you. He's for you. You don't have to wrestle with this God. Why? Because he'll fight for you. You don't fight with him, he'll fight for you. You really can surrender to him and trust. He will fight for you. The God of Jacob is a safe place. And so if you could hear this psalm as a musical piece, you can almost feel like the music would be building. The lyrics themselves are building. You have in the beginning a song of protection, God's a present help. You have this song of comfort that God's in your midst with a voice that's able to melt the chaos. And there's one more section to this song in the final three verses. And the idea of these final verses is this. I don't want you to just stand and look at God. Don't just like look at him or hear what I'm saying about him as a strength or a comfort. I want you to come and worship him. In these last three verses, there's this invitation to worship. But I want you to notice it's worship with a twist. Pick up with me in verse 8. I'll show you what I mean. And so he says, come. Like there's an invitation. Don't just stand out there. Come close. Come behold the work of the Lord. You're thinking, okay, he's probably gonna say something tranquil next, something really full of peace, something like Thomas Kincaid might put in a painting or something. Come behold the work of the Lord. He's strong. He's a comfort. But notice what he says. Here's the twist. The works of the Lord, the way he's brought desolations on the earth. Worship this God who is strong for you, who's a comfort for you, and worship him because recognize what he's worked for you, even desolations on the earth. How are desolations a comfort? Remember, this song is aimed at drilling into your heart. God really is a refuge. He really is a strength. He really is a fortress. He really is a help in trouble. He really will fight for you. We're not just making this up about him, and so he proves it. If you don't believe me, then look at the desolations He's brought to the earth for you. For the original Hebrew singer of this song, they would have read this and they would have had ready images in their mind of the floating bodies of Egyptian soldiers and horses. Dead, swallowed up in the sea by God, chasing after them to enslave them once again. You see, God isn't just a metaphorical refuge. He's not a metaphorical strength. He's an actual strength. The writer's saying, look at the dead bodies that God has brought to an end 
an effort to save you and fight for you and work on your behalf. He goes on in verse nine. He makes wars to cease at the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The Israelites would have known the enemies in the wilderness that they were too weak to conquer, and yet here they were. We have no business still wandering in the wilderness. We should have been conquered by now, and yet here we are singing this song that Korah's sons wrote us. God fights for us. He really does. And so now I look to you, Christian. What desolations has God worked for you? It's not just desolations back there. He's still working desolations for his people. What about the cross of Calvary where Jesus crushes the head of Satan and his accusations against us by suffering in our place? Satan would say, he, he made quite a desolation of me. He can't even hurt the people of God anymore. The best he can hope to do is gum us to death because his fangs have been knocked out. What about the desolation of your sin? Your sin and my sin He's made a desolation of it. Our debt before the face of God has been drenched in innocent blood. What a desolation to your sin he's brought. What about the desolation of death? He's defanged an empty tomb and he's only left there folded grave, lo- grave clothes as a taunt. Tell me now that God isn't a refuge. Tell me now he's not a strength. Tell me now he's not a fortress. This song closes where the voice flips from the sons of Korah to God himself. It's almost like the sons of Korah say, hey, we've said as much as we can possibly say about what a flex God brings to us. Let's let God himself speak. And so verse 10, the famous verse 10, read it with me. Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Let me just say that verse 10 is not saying what you think it's saying. It's way better than that. Most of us read verse 10 as like a Hobby Lobby wall hanging that you can bring into your house. (laughs) And above the toilet decor, right? Most of us read, be still and know that I'm God is like, I need a cup of coffee, I need a tranquil moment, God's got my finances, kids be quiet. But be still and know in Hebrew is way bigger than that. Listen, this is not so much a word of God for his people, this is a word from God in the context of desolations that he's worked to defend his people and fight for his people. This is a word from God in the warning, in the warning he gives to the enemies of his people. It's a, it's a word that's in the hearing of God's people, but a word directed to the enemies of God's people. It is, be still, as in, drop your weapons and freeze. I am God. And I need you to know that because I know my people. This is Mr. Miles walking into the room and giving a warning to me and letting his son know that he has his back with one and the same word. This is God effectively saying, enough, enough. The shadow of your father is a very safe place to stand. It's a very safe place to stand. And it can be difficult to see now 
But there is coming a day, God says, when I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted among the earth, and there will be no confusion on that day. I will have my people, I will not let them go, and they will be with me. This is God effectively saying, I will get you home. It may feel crazy to you, but I've got the back of your seat the whole time. Christian, this is your God. I think far too often we have a tame view of God, a tranquil view of God, but this is his heart for you. This is his character leveraged for you. And the songwriter ends with the only thing left you could possibly say after all of this truth. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts. It's like the songwriter is looking around at people who are singing in his right and his left saying, the God of angel armies is really with us. Like we're not, he's really with us. And this God of Jacob, the God of wrestlers, the God of wanderers, the God of people who have no business with God, like he's actually our God and he's a safe place. He's a fortress. And so today, if you're not a Christian, I just want you to know that this song is actually an invitation. It's a wide open invitation to you. If you're not a Christian, the God of refuge has made himself available to you in his son, Jesus. He didn't come with a fist. He came with arms wide open. Look to him. Look to him. He's a refuge. If you are a Christian, I've got just a few thoughts for you here as I end. If you're a follower of Jesus today, where do you tend to doubt the goodness of God? Whether or not he'll stand up for you. Where where in your life do you tend to doubt if God really is for you? This song is an invitation to return. The God of Jacob is a fortress. Where do you tend to look Where do you tend to look for refuge and strength other than God? We all do it. We all all put our refuge and strength in some other place as though we need God plus. Another Another way of asking that question is where in your life are you tired and insecure? Very often the places in your life where you're just wore out and you're afraid are a really good indication that you're putting a refuge and a strength somewhere that's actually just a mirage. God is your refuge. God is your strength. And last, where is God encouraging you and inviting you to believe again? To believe again because of this song. He really can be trusted. See what desolations he's brought to the earth for you. Let's pray together. Father, we want to say with this passage that what you've offered us is true. That you are our refuge and you are our strength and you are a very present help in time of trouble. God, I do pray for anyone in this room who's afraid that those lyrics aren't true or those lyrics couldn't be, possibly be for them. Would you give them courage to look to Jesus? where you have been a perfect refuge and a perfect strength, and you are today. God, I pray for anyone who is considering an off-ramp to the faith, who's here today as sort of one final effort. I pray you would show yourself mighty to them, that you are the God of Jacob. You can handle their wandering, and you're not insecure. 
you're a safe place to stand. Father, I offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.